AHLA is pleased to present this special series highlighting the top 10 health law issues of 2023, where we bring together thought leaders from across the health law field to discuss the major trends and developments of the year. Support for AHLA in this series is provided by PYA, which helps clients find value in the complex challenges related to mergers and acquisitions, clinical integrations, regulatory compliance, business valuations, and fair market value assessments, and tax and assurance. For more information, visit PYAPC.com. Hello, I am Deborah Biggs, a principal with PYA, and I am here with Michael Peregrine from McDermott, Will, and Emory, and Ann Murphy from Arndt Fox Ship. Michael, Ann, would you like to introduce yourselves today? Sure. Um, Ann Murphy, I'm a partner in the Boston office of Arndt Fox Schiff, a longtime healthcare attorney, and uh, have a mix of what I would characterize as senior in-house experience and private practice experience and looking forward very much to today's conversation. And I'm Michael Perrican. I'm a partner in the Chicago office of the McDermott, Will & Emory, and my focus is principally on uh, corporate governance issues for healthcare organizations. Wonderful. Well, thank you both. And you've both authored an article that's uh, number nine in the top 10 podcasts. Um, for HLA, and we'd love to talk about that today. So we're going to talk about ESG. So ESG is environmental, social, and corporate governance. Uh, there's a lot to it. I know in your article you say that there's a lot that's going to happen in 2023. But all this being said, could we start with, is this a thing? If you're if you're sitting here and you're listening to this, why should you think about it? Why should you bother with it? Is it a movement? Is it real? Can you give me your perspective on this? Well, um, Deborah, I'll let yeah, Anne speak for herself, but I think we come from a shared perspective that from the from the health industry chief legal officer's perspective, it's it's a it's a real deal. It's a question of the degree to which they allocate their time. It's not an issue, though they can push off anymore. It's part of I don't know, Anne. Would you say it's a front burner legal issue or a back burner legal issue, but still something that they have to have the uh, the, the flame on a little bit? Yeah, I think the the question that some reasonable minds can ask has been whether this is something that is real, if this is something that instead uh, is primarily uh, to be focused upon by um, investor-owned companies, and whether chief legal officers in the healthcare sector, especially uh, the not-for-profit component of the healthcare sector should really be paying attention to it. And I think, you know, the answer is yes. Uh, I don't know that I would put it as a front burner issue so much as an issue that needs to be integrated in with things like uh, workforce considerations and good governance. So it's there, it's real, it's more than just a consultant-driven um, focus, uh, but needs to be put in perspective because as we know, um, healthcare organizations have an awful lot on their plate and this needs to be put in context. This is very helpful. So you drafted this article a little while ago. What's happened since you've drafted the article? Can you bring us to current? Well, maybe just take a step back, Deborah, just kind of comment on what's what's happened over the last year or so, just to refresh and underscore, I think what Ann and I view is the fact that it's real. 
And, and the reality, if you're going into a, a chief financial officer or a chief operating officer's office and, and, and you have to make the case, so to speak, for why to pay attention to it, I think that there's enough uh, background developments over the last year or two uh, to say it, it's, why this is relevant. And I think we see that in part, obviously, uh, our clients' board members are reading every day about, uh, and we're reading in the legal journals about the SEC's uh, action to uh, address investor concerns about investing in uh, companies with ESG uh, activities. Uh, the SEC had something yesterday about maybe backing down on some of their climate uh, dis disclosures. We see issues about greenwashing and all sorts of other things. Um, but I think what's happened is important because our, our, our fellow members can point to not just what's happening in the investor own sector, uh, sector, but also the interests of um, rating agencies, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Certainly, HHS and CMS have, have uh, come down with both feet in terms of the Biden administration's efforts in the office of, I want to get this right, in healthcare uh, change and health equity, or the uh, OCCHE from uh, the Biden administration, and then the Office of Environmental Justice, which has that scary uh, sounding title. Both, both of these administrative agents have uh, are healthcare focused, both have regulatory authority. Then certainly there's the um, efforts of the Joint Commission um, and to address matters of health equity and state attorney generals at certain levels are addressing these issues well, uh, some favorably, some uh, uh, less favorably. So. I think point number one uh, is to take a look back and see what's happened over the last two years. Anne and I would say a lot and a lot that has specific implications for healthcare organizations. But Anne, uh, you may want to take the what's new issue. Um, yes, before I before I get into what's new, uh, one thing that Michael and I have talked about in uh, our article writing, and I think bears repeating at this moment is um, that the conversation is becoming far more granular and sophisticated as it relates to what is actually being measured. Um, so I think some well-placed critiques over the last year or so in terms of how um, ratings agencies might be deploying an ESG rating system, whether there's internal consistency even within one uh, ratings agency and looking at the way that they come out uh, across uh, different companies. Um, so, so I think we're going to continue to see focus on um, those granular issues because if you don't know exactly what you're measuring, how can you possibly be doing it well? Um, the other thing that I, I will underscore in what Michael uh, said is that, yes, there are direct government initiatives, whether you're looking at the SEC or HHS or CMS, uh, but when you aggregate those um, government measurements and then add to that, the fact that access to capital may well be impacted by your ESG rating. The fact that due diligence um, is increasingly going to encompass an ESG component. These are things that suggest that for any organization um, in the healthcare sector, not for profit or not, having good ESG hygiene, if you will, 
is probably going to become an important business metric. So in terms of what's new, I guess um, what, what I would like to kick this off with is an acknowledgement of the fact that in 2023, um, we are going to see continuing efforts by the Biden administration to shine a spotlight on ESG, uh, but we are going to see and are already starting to see a vigorous counter response. So this is going to become, I think, a more politicized issue in 2023. 25 um, GOP uh, attorneys general have sued challenging Department of Labor uh, rulemaking. Uh, We expect to see challenges to the SEC proposed rulemaking Uh, And I think uh, we are going to see this become a bit of a political football uh, over over upcoming months, which doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to it as attorneys. But I think it is important to acknowledge that it is going to be out there in the public domain as a politicized um, topic. And on top of that, some of the things that Anne and I have been uh, discussing with our clients on what's new, Deborah, also relates to. Um, interestingly enough, the the, uh, the exempt organization tax area are not-for-profit tax exempt uh, hospitals and health systems that are represented within the HLA membership. Uh, I think, as a lot of our um, listeners or viewers or whatever they are are aware, there's been over the last uh, nine months a much greater focus in the media, the mainstream media, on um, the continued tax exempt status of large hospitals and health systems that with billion dollar revenues, uh, the New York Times uh, profits over patients issue has been particularly a painful one, uh, if not inaccurate, uh, 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 serious to read. And but the, the, the questions of uh, what are uh, our clients doing to deserve their tax exempt status is becoming back into focus as it periodically does. The health equity issue, which is a significant discussion uh, of ESG principles, obviously, becomes more significant. Uh, the ability to uh, of the not-for-profit sector to distinguish themselves from the for-profit sector uh, does invoke ESG principles. Uh, the health equity issue is a real one. And to the extent that uh, the Texan health systems are reflecting this, addressing this, and incorporating this, does have an additional benefit uh, to, again, just demonstrate how they are serving their charitable mission. So that's another aspect of what's new. And I'd also point out, Ann and I were discussing, um, we're, we're taping this in uh, uh, early to mid-February. And uh, the other day, the Texas governor uh, essentially banned the use of uh, diversity and equity principles in state hiring. That's a... a, a perfect demonstration of what Anne is talking about. Uh, and again, it, part of the political and regulatory environment, which we both think ESG is going to become enveloped in. And, and that's going to affect, I'm sure, and don't you think how boards and, C- and senior executives say, why do I need to pay attention to this? Why can't I just let this sift its way out? And then I'll give it a couple of years and then I'll decide. I do. I think there there is um, a possibility that some boardrooms uh, will react in that way. At the same time, I'm reminded of the fact that none of us can turn on the news without seeing yet another um, weather 
related or mother nature related crisis. And so we're going to have, you know, in addition to all the technical and business issues associated with this important topic, um, we're not only going to have politics, but we're going to have the, I think, steady drumbeat of collectively um, people internalizing the fact that there are significant climate events happening. Um, I saw one recent article classify it as the crystallization of climate risk. And I, you know, I thought that was sort of an eloquent way of putting it. And um, if you think about the fact that within ESG, environmental is the most clearly defined. And I do think uh, some of the political back and forth we're likely to see in 2023 will relate to that environmental piece. How much should um, climate risk be associated with an individual company and its rating? Um, but when we get into the S and the G, the S in particular, I think is where, Michael, to your point about tax exempt organizations, as we get more serious about um, having better measurement of E, S, and G, the S represents a really significant opportunity for those in the healthcare sector to take what they do every day, whether you classify it as mission or corporate purpose, and translate that into social good, benefit to the community, and importantly, in an environment in which workforce shortages are at an all-time high, that S component also deals with workforce culture. And I think thinking about the business case between workforce culture and that S component and what it means to say younger generations of workers to be attracted to a healthcare organization, for example, that is more sensitive around ESG issues is also a way to crosswalk from what some board members may be articulating as a show me the money from a business perspective. There are some you know, direct business cases to be made, and certainly workforce culture is an immediate one in 2023. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you, either of you comment on the G? We've talked a lot about the E and the S. Let's talk a little bit about the G, governance, corporate governance. I think G is, from my perspective, and I'm pretty biased on this, is, is loosely coupled to the broader concept. If you start, if you look at the, all of the, uh, the significant discussions of these principles, the hardest one to nail down is G. Uh, in my view, again, I'm biased. I think G is, is just simply uh, duplicative of existing governance principles. And, and I, again, this is my bias. I think it's, it's a real deflection from a thoughtful discussion of governance. The, issue, the, the, the G in governance, uh, is, uh, the G in ESG definitions is poorly defined, as Anne was mentioning, and really is just simply a subset of what boards and their governance committees should be looking at in any event. And I think you're starting to see that um, people are starting to refer to just E and S. And I think mm -hmm. that, for example, the National Association of Corporate Directors' recent framework on uh, governance guidelines does that. Uh, the, what I worry about is that uh, important discussions on corporate governance happen through the portal of ESG, which is, I think, a huge mistake. 
and not through the portal of the, the more traditional evaluation of, of corporate governance as legal concerns. So I think that one in is is uh, if we look if we're looking at what's on the horizon, I think we're going to be going from ES and G just to ENS. Well, and and Michael, you and I, I mean, I think we share sort of that frustration. Um, the way I make sense of it, and I'm not saying that this is the right way, but if you look at ES and, and G at its most basic uh, sort of level, it's a system that is intended to measure certain very specific metrics and um, to then hold the organization accountable to those metrics. And how do you hold the organization accountable? Ultimately, it's through the board, it's through governance. Um, it's through executive compensation and a committee structure that takes seriously the identification of the ESG measurements in the first instance. So I think having good governance is necessary for effective um, E and S, at least. Uh, so you you need the G in some ways in order to make the first two elements effective. But it is a bit of apples and oranges because I think, you know, to your point, Michael, governance is so much broader, obviously, than simply the measurement of, um, of those two elements. And so to tack the G on runs the risk of either diminishing governance writ large or confusing the relationship between governance and the environmental and social justice issues. Well, you both made a compelling case that you have to be paying attention and that this is here to stay, I believe. So when you're thinking about what's on the horizon, what's your perspective? Deborah, I think our view is that there are a couple of things that are going to become more significant from this uh, future. Anne's point about watching the, how the political situation evolves is going to be a significant one. And, and uh, not to be a political pundit, but the question of who is in the White House, it could affect the future of certain federal commitments, such as uh, HHS's focus on uh, ESG principles. So that's that's a significant one. The general counsel is going to be challenged to come push back on what Ann was saying and saying, won't this go away in 2026 with the change of administration? And that's a tough one uh, to, to argue against. But I think from, from our perspective, two things that are really important, though, that are that won't go away is that the role that, that Moody's is, and, and maybe other credit rating agencies are the extent to which they are considering ESG factors in their overall credit analysis. To me, uh, that, that is bringing home, as Ann said, the, the business case for this focus on this entire issue. It becomes a much more significant consideration for the chief financial officer and, and the chief legal officer. And as more organizations go through a Moody's style consideration, um, they will be getting the religion, there will be more focus on getting the religion. Uh, I, I other also think that um, the continued focus of the Joint Commission on health equity issues and related yeah. issues, again, brings this very much home, makes this very clear on an operational level to our clients. And so those are the two issues that I would flag as uh, apart from the political issue that's on the horizon that I think will really manifest the importance of ENS principles to our healthcare clients. And I can't say it um, better than that. Uh, I would simply add um, that the chief legal officer 
does serve as that voice of reason uh, from time to time in the executive rooms or in the boardroom in terms of why something like this either does or doesn't uh, deserve priority attention. And I think um, from my vantage point, the reason that ESG ends up on the top 10 list for HLA is because it is something that is a significant movement, yes, but it is also um, a movement that has now um, made its way into government regulation and ratings that impact the financial health of our clients. And so from a chief legal officer's perspective, to be able to answer that question when it's raised in the boardroom or the executive suite and say, yes, it matters, we don't need to lose perspective on this, but we do need to have a focused, clear point of view on this, one that um, in the boardroom is capable of being expressed and deployed. I think that is important, and I think it will continue to be important, um, not just because it will be a topic of common interest and um sort of political debate, but because it does speak to the bottom line and the mission of the organization. And Deborah, if, if, if we were, if Ann and I were to predict, you know, something in 2023 that could be very significant in this area, uh, it could well be the decision by a progressive state attorney general to more vigorously enforce and apply uh, ENS principles on healthcare facilities in particular uh, with a focus on health equity, that would certainly be one of them. Uh, another could be uh, actual regulation proposed by the Office of Climate Change and Health Equity uh, Department at HHS that would apply to healthcare institutions. You know, something either at the federal or state level, proposed regulation or clear enforcement practices, which would just bring this right home uh, to healthcare. So I think our view is, you know, do, do you want to, if you're the chief legal officer, do you want to have to consider this? Maybe not. I mean, it, it's on the on the other, on the range of issues that are on your desk. This is probably one, if you could push off the edge of the desk for a while, it would be great. Can you? Probably not. Uh, it's, and even though there's tremendous frustration with the standards by which these are evaluated, as Anne has pointed out, um, ultimately, our responsibility is to point out to uh, if we're a chief legal officer to our internal clients saying, you got to keep in mind when these stories pop up in the journal or the times about ESG, you need to skim them. You need to be aware that that these implicate our industry in a variety of indirect ways and with Moody's and the Joint Commission with some direct ways. So, again, it's it's certainly within it's a legitimate concern that needs to be addressed at the management and board level uh, going forward in 2023. Well, Michael, and thank you both very much. I think that uh, as we started out this conversation and saying, is this something you have to think about? You made a, a compelling case that it is something you have to have a thought process on. And, and as your point, a point of view, how to answer these questions to your board or other constituents. And uh, having these both hit Moody's and the Joint Commission really seems to me it's here to stay. And we'll be talking about this again in the future. Thank you, Deborah. We sure appreciate the chance to talk to you. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.